Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Uh, in his book, uh, Answers to Hard Questions, author Josh McDowell writes this, quote, People refuse to believe that which they don't want to believe in spite of the evidence. And he goes on to write this, listen, when explorers first went to Australia, they found a mammal which laid eggs, spent some time in the water, some on land, and had a, a broad, flat tail, webbed feet, and a bill similar to a duck. Upon their return to England, they told the populace of this, all who felt it was a hoax. They returned to Australia and found a pelt from this animal, took it back to England, but the people still felt it was a hoax. In spite of the evidence, they disbelieved because they didn't want to believe. And that's why Josh McDowell writes this, people refuse to believe, listen to me, that which they don't want to believe in spite of the evidence. And I thinking about this, and I was and I was pondering what Josh wrote in his book, and I was thinking, I believe that it was the same back in Jesus' day. I believe there were people, even though they saw the Messiah, they saw Jesus walking, they saw the miracles that they just chose not to believe for some reason. And I believe, guys, and and I saw that in Scripture, but I think it's the very the very same thing today, the very same thing in our lives. People will refuse to believe. That which they really don't want to believe, even if the evidence is right in front of their face, even if it's there. I think this is noteworthy. We talked about it several dozen times. We behave what we believe, right? We behave how we believe. That's really the internal thing, right? We behave. And I think it was was C.H. Spurgeon, the great pulpiteer, who claimed, listen to this, 98% of the people he met, including criminals he visited in England's prisons, told him that they believed the Bible to be true. But the vast majority never made a personal life-changing commitment to Jesus Christ. For them, belief was not an active verb, end quote. That's what, that's what, that's what the great pulpiteer Spurgeon said. He said, he said, people are going, I believe the Bible. I believe it to be true. But he said, but their lives showed a different work. Why? Well, guys, we believe, right? We behave what we believe. We behave what we believe. Now, just as a reminder, John employs the Greek word for believe that's made up of three different words. And I want to give them to you again so that we have a good foundation of what it means to believe. Why? Because we use that word so nonchalantly, right? Well, I believe the sun will come out tomorrow. We'll believe whatever it might be. But what what does John really mean when he says, listen, listen, there's some people that are not going to believe in spite of the evidence. What does it really mean? Well, guys, think about this. It's the, the, the word he employs is made up of three Greek words. And the first one is pisteo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O, and it means to have faith in, but in respect to the person of Jesus, to to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean just to have faith. I have faith, right? It's not just that. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. 
You take that word and you break it down and we have pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means to be persuaded, to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. So not only do you have faith in Jesus, you are also persuaded, guys, you're persuaded that, that your reliance is simply on Christ for salvation. There is no other way. Good works, good looks, none of that's going to get you to heaven. It's putting what? It's you're being persuaded that my faith is in Jesus Christ. And then the third word is pethio, and it means to be convinced with confidence. With confidence. The confidence. So he's saying, now now listen, there are a lot of people who believe, and I think there are a lot of people who have that faith. That but the but their faith and belief in Jesus is what's needed for eternal life. Do you have the faith as respected into Jesus Christ, do you have, are you persuaded with reliance and are you convinced with confidence? That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to have faith. Think about this, guys. I was doing my Bible study and it reminded me of a story. It was just a couple of weeks back and, and uh, I have a new friend. Her name is Scarlett. Scarlett lives in the neighborhood. She lives about four blocks back. And uh, Josh is doing some stuff, and Scarlett comes in the church, and she makes a beeline for my office. Have no idea how she knew. She makes a beeline for my office. She sits down, and she's crying, and she's saying, "And she's saying, could could are you the pastor? Yes, I'm the pastor. What can I do for you?" And she said, um, "Please, please, please, um, can I have? Can, could we have ten dollars?" My son, and she gives me her story, and she's crying, and I'm looking at her, and I'm praying, you know, in, in the spirit, and just saying, God, what do I do with this? And she's sitting there crying. She goes, my son just had open heart surgery. We live a few houses down, and normally my friend, and I just, and could, could I just have $10? I'm just, I need $10 for food, please. I need $10 for food. We, we, we just ran out of money with my medicines and this and this. We just don't have enough. And I said, well, Scarlett, um, um. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Scarlett. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to tell me what you need. Tell me what you want from the store. Tell me what, you know, I'll go buy you some, but tell me what you want. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. Um, um, I want, you know, we're happy with bread and we're happy with, with, with you know, just some bologna. And I said, I said, Scarlett, tell me what you want. You, do you want soda? Do you, do you guys drink? Yeah, oh, we would love soda. And so I got a list, okay? So I said, okay, Scarlett, here's what I'm going to do. Scarlett, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to buy you what you want, what you need. And I'll go to your house. Give me your address. I'll go to your house, and I'll buy you, and, and I'll bring it. Scarlett jumped up, wiped it. Oh, my gosh. She's crying and being happy at the same time, and she hugs me. And we walk out the door. I'm walking to my car, but here's, what, here's the lesson I've learned, okay? Here's the lesson. God began to knock on my heart, right? Because God is always teaching us something. So I go down and I go to the store and I buy her $40, $50 worth of stuff. I'm just throwing stuff in, right? Whatever, peanut butter, jelly, bread, whatever. $50 worth of stuff. Take it to her house, open the door, take it in. She's crying. My new friend, Scarlett, invited her to church, said, Scarlett, you need to be part of a community. You need to be part of our church. And uh, left it at that, okay? Now, here's what the Lord's began to speak to me, Okay? When Charlotte left here, okay, she had faith. I was thinking, think about this, guys. She left home happy on my word. She put all of her trust that this man is going to go to the store, buy groceries, and bring into my house. She didn't go any other place. She didn't go, okay, well, in case you don't, 
I'm going to go over here. She went home, and the Lord really impacted me. Why? Because I, being sinful man, you guys know what we're talking about, right? I, being sinful man, am true to my word. She still had faith in me that I was going to do this. And that blew me away. Why? Because we're supposed to believe that God is going to what? Well, guys, think about it. The words employed, what? Are we had to have faith in Jesus. We need to believe that to be persuaded upon as reliance to Christ. And then to have what? To be convinced with confidence. That's how we should walk. And here this lady with a few dollars of grocery said, yeah, he's going to come. He's a man of his word. She didn't know me from Adam. I could have patted her in the back and said, God bless you. The second thing the Lord impacted my heart, and here's what I want to encourage you with. The second thing the Lord impacted my heart was, right, she came in my office, and she was asking for $10 worth of food. It would have been so easy for me to open my wallet, get $10. God bless you, sister. Have a nice day. Where did she end up with? She ended up with $50 worth of food. You go, Pastor, the point. God knocks on my heart, and he says, Guys, listen, there are times that we are holding on to things that's $10 worth of food, and he's going, let go of that. I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. And so many times we're holding on going, no, no, God, mine, mine, right? And I mean, you could, guys, in your Bible, you could parallel that to verse 25 when he says, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, right? It's just, you, could, you just see that, right? And I'm just going, wow. And here's the thing, guys. God is always going to bless you more than you ask for. If you'll let go of what you have and give it all to him. Now, remember what we've talked about last week. Let me just kind of recircle back to our our text. Jesus' public ministry, guys, is coming to a close. A lot of things are happening right now. A lot of things are going on. He had just entered into Jerusalem, right? To the shouts and the praise, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna, right? We estimated there were about two, two and a half million people in the city of Jerusalem. So that means they were laying all over. They were sleeping. People were everywhere, right? And they're coming in for the city, the, the Passover celebration. Jesus uses a series of paradoxes in verses 23, 24, or 24, 25, and 26. But in verse 27, something changes. The mood changes. You can feel it. If you read it, you can see the mood change. Okay, one minute Jesus is elated, he's telling people about the gospel, and now I think Jesus realizes, guys, his impending death on the cross. And last week we talked about both physically and spiritually, right? You go, how so? Well, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, understands the cross. He understands the physical pain. Okay, we know that in the book of Philippians, he emptied himself of being God so that he could fully understand what it is to be a man so that when he died for us, we would be able to relate and he would understand our hearts and our needs. So he was fully. And so as he looked at the cross and and he grew up with the cross, very evident in the area he grew up in, he knew that that was going to be a very painful, painful death. And I think Jesus says in verse 27, if you'll look at it real quick, guys, he says, my soul is troubled. Why are your soul troubled? You're God. No, no, no. You understand. I'm fully man and I'm about to, I'm about to endure stuff that really kills people. 
And I'm just thinking about this. So we know physically he was probably thinking this is going to be torturous. This is going to be, this is not, you know, I mean, this is not going to be good. But also, I think he's feeling the weight, guys, emotionally and and spiritually, the weight of, of our sin on him. Because of the sin of mankind and Jesus taking that on. Now, here's what we here's what we believe a little bit. We think, okay, once I get saved, um, you know, good. Okay, I gave my life to Jesus, and he's forgiven me of all my sin. But oftentimes when we sin in the present or we'll sin in the future, that's the same sin that Jesus took on him as well, right? So when he says he took on the sin of the whole world, it's not only our past sin. We say goodbye to that. Thank you, hallelujah, right? Because I can, I, I, <laughs> I can pay for that. But what about my presence and what about the sin that you committed yesterday? Pastor, I didn't sin. Well, I'm not, I know we're sinners, right? And we're not under the power of sin, Romans tells us, but we still sin. And I think the weight of that, I don't even want to think about next week, some of the things that I might do or not do, or some of the things that I might think. We don't know what, what, what could happen. And so I think both physically and spiritually, guys, that's being poured on him. And he says, my soul is troubled. And now based on our text, real quick, guys, here's what we learned, right? Here's, the, here's, here's two things we learned last week, if you recall. The one thing we learned is how can we glorify Jesus in each and every day of our lives? How can we glorify him, right? Because Jesus says, no matter what the cross is coming, how can we glorify God, right? That's what he said. I'm here to glorify God. Well, number one, you guys, remember in our thoughts, in our thoughts, what do we think about? Are we taking every thought captive? Right? The, the enemy wants to shoot some fiery darts in our, in our thought life, and he wants us to create, you know, he, he wants us to create a destiny based on our thoughts. What we begin to think is how we begin to behave. How we begin to behave is who we become, and who we become is our destiny. We have to be careful. We want to glorify God in our thought life. Okay? We also said in our words. How do we honor God? How do we glorify God in our words? Being kind. Being kind, you know, speaking words of edification. We're all good at tearing down things. Oh, let me tell you, you and I, we could find, we could find stuff that's wrong in every situation, even if it's perfect. Well, I just didn't like the lighting. Well, I just, it was too loud. It was too hot. It was too cold. It was too, whatever it might be. And, and, and how, how much better, guys, if we as believers have the heart of Jesus and encourage people instead of discourage people? Yeah. What do we get out of discouraging people? What do we get out of putting people down? We didn't get nothing. There's no satisfaction because we still have to live with us. <laughs> you still have to look in the mirror and go, oh, yeah. It's you again. But how about, how about if we just glorify God in our words? You go, what else? Well, we, we talked about our works. We talked about our works. Honoring God in our works. What about our attitude? Our attitude. What happens if you have a bad attitude? I suggest you take a walk. Don't let that bad attitude go throughout the day. And then last but not least, we learned that we glorify Jesus with our relationships, with our relationships. Now, if, if you weren't here last week, guys, I mean, just make sure you listen to the podcast because we go into detail. 
But the second thing we learned last week is how can we raise the Lord in rank and honor, right? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. And he was talking about being lifted up on the cross so everyone could see two and a half million people. But he also lifted up, he says, but it's also, it's, it's, it's that double usage where he says, if, if I'm lifted up in your life, all people, I'll still draw all people. And you go, well, how can we do that? Well, we learned that honor originates in our hearts, guys, and it refers to the value we personally place on something. So does God have honor in your heart, right? The value, value. When we, guys, delight in the Lord, when we seek him for everything we do, we make choices that reflect the place that he has in our hearts. That's when we bring him the greatest honor. You go, what do you mean? Guys, when we seek him in everything we do, when we seek him, a lot of times we like to seek God as we're running to do what we're going to do, right? God, is, are you in this? Come on. And we're trying to run. And, and, and no, no, no. Seek him first. God, please listen. Guide me. and Give me direction. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How is this supposed to get done? That's, that'll bring the greatest honor. And not, not only that, but guys, we make choices that reflect the place he has in our hearts. You guys ready? No compromise. When we compromise our walks, guys, people see that. And that's not putting God in high honor. Now, I'm right there with you. I am right there with you going, Lord, I do this. Oh, help me, Jesus. But, but I don't want to compromise my, my, my relationship with God. And yet, there are times when we do this. And I said, no, no, no. I want to make choices that reflect. Choices that reflect the place you have in our hearts. Those are the things we learned. Well, let's do this, guys. For, for the sake of our study, let's just look at verse 35 and 36, and then we'll jump into verse 37. It says, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, right? And the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things he spoke, he departed and was hidden from them. Now we pick up our study in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not, there it is, guys, believe in him. Okay? Now, one of the things we want to grasp in the Gospel of John is how it's written. Why? Because John is giving us what? He's giving us snapshots of the deity of Jesus, but now he's going to sidestep and he's going to offer his little um, commentary on what he sees. Okay? You go, how so? That's what verse 37 is. Notice, it's not, he's not saying this is what's going on. He goes, this is what I see. But although Jesus had done so many signs before them, he says they did not believe. So he interjects his thought before taking us back to the reality of the scripture, right? We often see that in books. You'll see that this is, they're kind of painting a picture and the author will stop and interject, well, here's what I see, and then they'll take us back. That's what, John, that's what John's doing. But here's what I want you to see. Guys, everybody look at verse 37, although Jesus had did many signs, some of your Bibles might say miracles, here's what we need to understand. The word usage here in the Greek, guys, suggests the nature as well as the number. You go, what do you mean? It's both quality as well as quantity when it comes to miracles. In other words, John's going, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. 
Lisa, you should have seen the quality. I mean, people were being raised from the dead. I mean, that's what this blew my mind. I mean, legs were being grown. You should have seen. Not only that, there were tons of them. People all over Galilee were getting healed. People all over. Mother-in-laws being raised back to life. I mean, you should have seen. And that's what he's saying. And he goes, and it blows my mind because I don't understand why people would walk away in unbelief. I don't get it. So I had to put myself in their sandals for just a moment. If we saw Jesus do the most amazing miracles in our lives, how is it that we don't believe anymore? How is it? I started to think, why wouldn't they believe when they see someone raised from the dead? And a lot of times, guys, in our minds, we will start to We'll start to, oh, happenstance, maybe. Oh, well, that was just, that just circumstance. Oh, they weren't really dead. They were just in a coma, and now they're resuscitated. I don't know. Who is this? Nobody can. And so, again, they start to compromise their belief system, and they walk away with what? Unbelief. And although he did so many, I mean, if you were going to write, if you were going to, if you were going to uh, write a movie on verse 37, you could call it The Miracle Worker. Because that's what John's saying. God's going, man, I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. But then he goes, okay, okay, that's my thought. Let's go back. Let's go back. And he takes us back into verse 38. And he's going to tell us why these people didn't believe in Jesus. Okay, look at verse 38. He says, this is the reason they didn't believe, that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore... They could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So what does John do? Your attention, please. He now takes us back to the Old Testament and he says, oh, prophecy has to be fulfilled. You go, well, what are they? Well, let's look at him. First and foremost, he's going to quote Isaiah 53 verse 1. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John now quotes that very verse John emphasized that if someone believes, now listen to me, it is because God has revealed himself and his truth to them. Jesus had revealed himself to them through so many signs and through his teachings. Do you understand that? I'm sitting in my office, guys, and tears are coming in my eyes because I'm thinking, he's revealed himself to me. I believe. I believe. And I'm blessed. 17 years old, there I am, you know, not knowing anything. God reveals himself to uh, about who he is. Now, I had a choice at that point, just like all of us. I had a choice to stay in my religion and not follow in a relationship with God. Or I had a choice to let the scales fall and say, God, he's revealed himself to me. I believe. I believe. I believe that's what happened to you. You guys are you guys are highly blessed and highly favored that you as believers see this. And you go, why? What's the point? He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. Oh, I know, Pastor. I can get up, go to work every morning, come home. That's what I'm gonna do. That's not the plan he has for your life. It's so much greater than that. Why? Because you're holding on your tear, you're holding on to your ten bucks, going, This is my life, and God's no, no, drop the ten bucks. Watch what I want to do. Watch what I want to do. 
if you'll trust me, I'll blow your mind. I'll blow your mind. And so again, that's what he's saying. Who has believed? John's going, listen, man, it's revealed. But then something happens. Notice what he says, guys. Look at verse 40. He's quoting here. He's going to quote Isaiah 6, 9. But God has blinded the eyes and hardened their hearts. Right? Do you guys see that? And John now quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. But here's what he's quoting. He emphasizes that unbelief was because God acted in judgment upon those who, here's the key word, refused to see him, his truth, and turn to him. God would strengthen them in their decision, either for Jesus or against him. In light of this principle, they could not believe as Isaiah described. You go, what? You guys remember when Moses, right? When Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, right? And Moses like, seriously, dude? No. The Bible tells us in Exodus that, that God, that Pharaoh has, had hardened his heart. Do you guys remember that? He had hardened his heart against letting the children of Israel go. But then it also, if you'll read it later on, it says, and God hardened his heart. And you're going, why would God harden his heart? It's the same principle. The principle is, is, that, is that when somebody goes, nope, I just, nope, I'm not going to believe. Not going to believe. What happens is God goes, okay, let me, let me strengthen that in your life then. It was uh, commentator uh, Morris, he says this, listen to the way he puts it, quote, he does not mean that the blinding takes place without the will or against the will of those people. So with the hardening of the heart, these men chose evil. It was their own deliberate choice and their own fault, end quote. So they're going, I don't believe. And God's like, okay, all right. And he blinds them even further. God's not just going, let's see here. Okay, Delilah, you're not going to believe. I'm going to blind you. Oh, but Mondo, yes, you're going to. He's not doing that. It's those that he can already see in our hearts. Here's the thing, guys. Our job as, as believers, our job as believers is to share the good news with other people. It's not our job for them to believe or not. That's between them and the Lord. Share, just share in love. Just share in love. And you'll have people who will be mean to you and cuss you out and say, I can't believe that. Don't tell me about Jesus. That's your crutch. And they'll just, and, and, and you just smile and go, amen. Okay. But then you'll see people. And I think the majority of people have a heart that really believes. We do. Because it takes a lot of work. Listen to me. The Bible says that God put eternity in our hearts. Okay. So we know that there's something missing when we're not, when we're not following him. We know there was something missing. We can go back in our life and go, something was missing. I was trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Country music is one of them. I tried to fill it with country music. That didn't work. I tried to fill it with drugs. I tried to fill it with alcohol. I tried to fill it with religion. I tried to fill it. It's just, no, no, no. God put eternity in our hearts. Now, here's the thing. We all know that. We all know that. But I think it takes a lot of hard work to go, listen, I know that there's something missing, but it's definitely not some God you think. That takes more faith to do that than to believe in God. Because you have to work at it so hard to go, nope. Hey, look at that beautiful sunrise. Nope. That happened 
And, and you guys know our Genesis study, right? That happened just as a big bang. Really? You're going to believe that? Now listen, in our text, guys, here's what you need to jot down. Some people really, really believed and lived for Jesus. Okay, throughout the ministry of Jesus, people caught, they caught it, man. They got on fire. They were like, I am, I am in this. Now, they may not be following him like a disciple, but they're living for him, okay? We're following the Messiah. And, and even in, if Jesus is in Jerusalem and they're in Capernaum, they're living for Jesus. You guys got that? They're stoked. They're, they're telling people, there's, there's, the, there's a young rabbi. He's the Messiah. He's, he's our savior. Keep your eye on him. Keep your eye on him. And they're living for him. They're loving, they're praying, they're seeking him. Everybody got that? The second part of this is others didn't believe in him at all. They didn't believe in him. They saw signs, they saw miracles, and they went away shaking their head. And to fulfill prophecy, God granted them their hardened heart. Okay, you want a hard heart? Go ahead, go ahead. So you have believers and you have unbelievers But now, John does something very interesting in light of the text. You go, what's that? He said, there were some people who believed, but it was a very weak belief. Look at the text. Look at verse 42. He says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You guys see that? At this point in Jesus' ministry, there were so many people who believed, but they believed in him secretly. They saw the signs, they heard his teachings, and yet because they were afraid of what others would think and do against them, they would not openly confess their allegiance or trust in Jesus. Weak belief. Weak belief. I'm driving to church this morning and I'm thinking about the message and I'm thinking, Lord, they had weak belief. And, and why? Well, the Bible says, notice, the Bible says that uh, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I said, okay, so, they want to, so Lord, they want to be men pleasers. They don't want to be God, they want to be men pleasers. I said, that's pride. They want men to like them more than they want God to, uh, you know, to approve of them. They want men to like them. And I said, that's pride. That's, that's pride. That's, that's, I want the best seat in the house. I want people, you don't understand. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but you don't understand. This is my life. It's my life. I'm going to live my life, right? And so, and so here was the difference. The value was placed on their lives was far greater than the value placed in serving and honoring God. And I began to think about this, and I began to think, let me ask you a question, church. You ready? Is there a disconnect between our everyday life with Jesus and our work life, in our social life? Is there a disconnect? And you go, Pastor, no. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Why? Because we behave how we believe. And so many times when we first landed in there, and we went to, I'll, I'll never forget this, we went to rent our first building I remember the landlady, who's no longer there with them anymore, the landlady told, for, told me that she was a believer, but her business life was a lot different than her Christian life. And I thought, that doesn't make sense. You, you are what you are. You should conduct your work the way you live all the time. There should be honor. There should be integrity. 
There should be compassion. There should be grace. There should be kindness. There should be all of these things. Now, it doesn't mean that you're, you're going to be rolled over at work. What I'm saying is that you need to live what you believe. Why? Because, again, think about this, guys. These guys, they, were, they, they, they loved the praise of men. And, and, and I'm just like, and, and they were afraid of the Pharisees. They believed, but they didn't believe. I like what the commentator Barclay says. Check this out. Quote, secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms for either uh, for either the secrecy kills the discipleship or the discipleship kills the secrecy. End quote. You guys got that? Check it out. The secret discipleship. I'm a secret believer. Nobody knows. <laughs> so so in the lunchroom when we're hanging out. And I can cut it up with the best of them. I got some jokes. I got some jokes. I got some, you know, I mean, they're. But in my church, I can hang out with all of these guys too. God bless you, believers. How are you? Yeah, may the Lord bless you. And no, no, no. See, again, the, the point is, is listen, listen. Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. Either the secrecy will kill the discipleship, either this is going to kill your walk with God, or your walk with God is going to kill. What? The secrecy. Why? Because you can't. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. Can you imagine if you worked with a bunch of unbelievers and something great happened, you said, praise the Lord, and they all looked at you and you're like, oh. They'll know you're a Christian. Listen to, <laughs> listen to this humorous story by Jonathan Whitfield concerning belief, Okay. He says, the content of belief is important. Jonathan Whitfield was preaching to coal miners in England, and he asked one man, what do you believe? Well, I believe the same as the church. And what does the church believe? Well, I believe um, they believe the same as me. And seeing he was getting nowhere, Whitfield said, and what is it that you both believe? Well, I suppose the same thing. Right? (laughs) He's avoiding the whole question. So here's the question. Why do these people have a weak belief in Jesus, right? Well, here's why. They love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God, and they thought they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. They thought they were going to be excommunicated. Excommunicated. Hey, let me ask you a question. As a believer... And then some of you may be like, no, no brainer, bud. As a believer, let's just say it, your stance and your faith in God would get you kicked out of every social media site. Would that bother you? You'd be like, Psh. you see, you see, for the synagogue, that was their social. That was that was what they did. That was their religion. This is. And they were so afraid. They were so afraid they were going to get kicked out of Facebook or they were going to so afraid that they were going to be you know, whatever it might be. Now, you would think at this point, right? You would think at this point, okay, Lord, you know what? The people don't want to believe in you. You know, I'm, okay, talk to the hand. I'm out of here. You know, but Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, why? I want to show you the heart of our Savior. The heart of our Savior, guys, is he's going to give a final appeal to believe in him to the multitudes. Okay? Because he's going to end this. He's going to end this with, with this final appeal. But he's talking to the multitudes. Once chapter 13 comes, 
we're going to get into small groups, and he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us individually. You know what I'm talking about? So I want you to put yourself and feel the weight of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like, oh, man, my soul is troubled, and he's preaching. And John says, look, it's Isaiah, and people don't want to believe, and it's all belief, right? And at this point, you would think, fine, you guys don't want to believe. I'm going to take those who believe, and, and, and we're going to go away. But he doesn't. He loves people so much, and I think that's the key. Christ's heart is for people, and I think if we have the same heart, we should be for people too. Now, I'm all for people as long as it's easy. But that's never the case, isn't it? Because life is hard. And people are people. Are people. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus loved people to the place where, man, well, it's like our core value, where he loved him back to life. And we need to have the heart of that. You go, well, how can I help people? Well, some of us are really good encouragers. Some of us, just a hug means a lot. God bless you, you know? Some of us are really good listeners and, and when we need a friend. Some of us are, you know, the way you help people is God has blessed you financially and you're, and you're helping people and that's your ministry. That's wonderful. It, it, we're all different in that place. But we should be, we should be about the people out those doors. We should be. It was the other day. Um, I think it was either Thursday or Friday. And we left the door unlocked. Normally we lock it because we're hidden back here and we don't know who could come in and normally but the door was unlocked and guy comes in and he's handing out pizza coupons and he's just standing he asked josh for some money and josh goes what do you need the money for and he says i need some food and guys well i have some food here and he gives him a blessing bag and the guy was so excited he was so excited and and as josh and i walked i saw him walking out he's just happy and he's got a blessing bag he's got a bible he's got whatever right and I told Josh, look at that. You just blessed the socks off that guy. Because we should be about people. We should be about people out there. But if God brings them to our church, we better be about people. Amen. We can't fix every problem, amen? But we can be about people. We can be about people. Well, that's what Jesus does. Notice, he's going to give his final appear, uh, appeal to the believer uh, to believe in him. To the multitudes, look at verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Now, I mean, that's just, that's just, these are the last words, guys. So this is so precious because this is the last words that Jesus is going to cry out to the multitude. And he starts off with, and Jesus cried out. This is, these are the last words in John's gospel from Jesus to the public. In his last speech to the multitude, Jesus emphasized the themes of all his previous teachings in John's. You go, what are they? Well, number one, if you're taking note, it's included. He's a reminder of his teachings. That's what he's going to do. That's what he does. And then number two, it's a challenge to decide. Where are you going to live? How are you going to live? And then three, it's a warning to those who decided against him. And four, it's a promise to those who decided for him. So you've got a reminder, a challenge, a warning, 
and a promise. But notice what he said. Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. Who are we believing in, God? Guys, the Father, right? Because who sent Jesus? The Father. So he says, listen, if you believe in me, you believe in God. You believe in God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And then he says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Guys, that's what should happen in your life. Your belief should, should illuminate your walk in this life. You go for what? Two things, real quick. Number one, where you've been, where you've been, and light shows where we're going. Where you've been, thank you, Jesus, for, <laughs> for saving me, for forgiving my sin, but where I'm going is far better, far better. Notice what he says, verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not believe them, I do not judge him. Why, Lord? For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Guys, if you have a pencil handy or highlighter, this is an amazing verse. You've got to see it. You go, why? Well, here's the beautiful truth. The incarnation, Jesus, right, God becoming flesh, wasn't necessary for Jesus if he was going to come only to judge. He didn't need to add humanity to his deity to do that. But he did need to do it to rescue humanity. You see that? If God was simply going, hey, I'm going to judge Randy. I don't need to become human to do that. But if I'm going to save Randy, that's where humanity comes from. What a beautiful verse that is. That speaks volumes if we'll just dig just a little bit. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge you. The world's going to judge you. For I did not come to judge the world. But to save now, let's not make let's not make no mistake. This is this first coming, right? He didn't come to judge us the first coming, but there's going to be a second coming where he is coming to judge the world. A few days earlier, he was riding on a donkey down in on Palm Sunday, but when he comes back to judge the world, it's not going to be on a donkey. He's going to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But right here is a beautiful truth. While the Holy Spirit is still moving throughout the world. I didn't come to judge. I came to save. I came to save. Verse 48 says, He who rejects me does not receive my words, that which judges him. For the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. And what shall I say and what shall I speak? And I know that his command is is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak, right? These are the very last words. He's going, guys, listen, here's the point. I just, I'm, I'm begging you to believe. Now, we know what believe means, right? It means to be fully convinced. It means that, that listen, man, this is it. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced with confidence. I have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means to be born again. We don't want a weak, weak belief. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I have a t-shirt that says I believe in Jesus, but, but I still live like I don't believe. I wonder if that's what the people in the synagogues did. 
they got together in their homes and go, I believe in Jesus. I mean, he's amazing. Well, why don't you sh- share it with the world? Oh, no, I could never be a disciple. Here's the, here's, here's the difference, okay? You, how many of you want to be a truly follower, a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? means you're a disciple, and you simply just don't stand over here and believe. I just believe, but I'm not going to say anything. I'd rather be a disciple. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the world. I'm going to show the world. How can we be a disciple? By the way we live. By the way we live. By the way we talk. Right? Your life, listen to me, your life shows more of your relationship with God than it does you. Your life displays more of your relationship than it does you. People know you're going to be frustrated. People know you're going to be upset. People know that because you're human. But we want to be careful that we don't blow our testimony in those things. Let me close with this, guys. Let me close with this. God is love. You've heard that. God is love. And Jesus is perfect love sent from heaven to earth to rescue sinful humanity. Okay? So here's the question. Do you believe in love? Do you believe it? Here's why. The truth is, is that one day, guys, we are going to be leaving behind our temporary tent and moving into a mansion. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. Was Jesus speaking of a literal mansion? Or was he speaking of a new made, uh, you know, a new life to made forever body that we will receive in heaven? A made-to-live-forever body. I don't know. But I do know that it will be better, far better than anything else. Listen, one day, all our questions are going to be answered. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, what we see now is like a dim image in a mirror. Then we shall see face-to-face. What I know only, what I know now is only partial, then it will be complete, as complete as God's knowledge for me. You go, Pastor, what did he say? We will know, guys, with perfect clarity when we get there. But let me say this to you. Do you believe and love? Because the best thing about believing and one going to heaven is that we will be with Christ forever. D.L. Moody once said that the jeweled walls and pearly gates that will make heaven attractive, once said, in that the jeweled walls and pearly gates that will make heaven attractive, it's being with God. Remember that what we believe is how we live. And Paul wrote to us, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So the questions I would leave you with this week is, what if you live for money? Then to die is to leave it all behind. Well, what if you live for fame? Well, then to die is to be forgotten. And what if you live for power? Then to die is to lose it all. But today, if you say to live is Christ, then now you have him for all of eternity. It's about belief. It's about Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you're in control of all things and we love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. 
And we look forward to next week, God, where you gather us together in chapter 13, where we get to hang out with you a little bit more intimate. Oh, I'm excited about next week, God. You're going to show some amazing things. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.